Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Mike Procopio, Vice President at Procopio Companies. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. Today is going to be the first of a two-part discussion with Mike, where we cover the scope of Procopio Companies, which includes general contracting, real estate development, consulting, property management, and subcontracting. That right there in itself deserves a show, but we also talk about areas that Mike sees as development potentials, and we also go in-depth on a 10-story high-rise in Lynn that they'll be building out of heavy-gauge metal stud and much more, including things like CLT, um, etc. So, enjoy the show. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the Mass Construction Show. How's it going, Joe? Thanks for having me. Um, I'm glad you're in because, um, as of late, I've been having kind of a mild obsession over kind of mid-scale, multifamily housing. There's a lot of things around it. There's a lot of fire code issues that happen. Um, you know, three large lost fires here in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that are looking to mass timber maybe as a solution in Huge. that space, um, speed and quality. Um, also see um, steel, metal frame happening, but I've only seen it happen outside of this market around here and maybe it's happened in other places but i've just never seen it um solves a lot of fire issues uh, maybe some speed issues um, and that's where you know we've been connected for a little while but when yeah. i posted something around why don't we do that here you know you <laughs> reached out you're like hey we're doing it in lynn yeah, and i was like yeah. hey come on over we're yeah. gonna talk about it um but before we go into that what um what does Procopio companies do so we're um so we're traditionally we've we've been general contractors. So we're we started in 1950 by my grandfather. So I'm third generation. My brother and I are in the business now. My dad still runs the company. Um, traditionally, we did both single family homes, large tract subdivisions, uh, all over the North Shore, Merrimack Valley, and apartment buildings over the years. Um, in more recent years, it's been just straight uh, larger scale wood frame multifamily apartment product. Mm -hmm. um, some mixed use stuff, three, four, five over podium. Um, that kind of stuff, steel podiums, concrete podiums, the, this, this typical stuff we see flying yeah, up. Yeah, 501. Or yeah, whatever, yeah, stuff we see flying up all over the place here. And, and um, you know, slab on grade kind of surface parking type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we do now. Um, we do anywhere between 25 and $35 million a year. Um, so we're a very small shop. Um, and we, we, we do well. We do well picking up smaller, smaller size projects that are, at this point, a lot of the a lot of the GCs um, locally have gotten big. There's not a lot of really smaller guys around for smaller mm -hmm. buildings. Um, so we're we're able to be super competitive for mm -hmm. smaller developers. Some people call us and they say, "Look, I've got a 40 unit building, or I've got a 60 unit building, and it's just one building, and there's no not really you know a clubhouse and all these amenities, but I need somebody that can be competitive and do this, and we're super competitive in that mm -hmm. space." Um, but you have so this. Copio companies, yeah. and then there's construction. So how, like, yeah. So how we, do those all? Where's the delineate? Are they separate companies? Are they divisions no, of? Like, how does that? We, kind we of... bundle it all under one roof. Mm -hmm. So we have the GC shop where we do we do our own work, and, and we do third party work. Okay. Right? And would you say that's the biggest piece of no. the pie? No. No. Okay. No. So that's that's a means to an end. So okay. the biggest piece of the pie is our development piece, where we're either developing our own projects or we're managing other people's developments or we're doing advisory services. Mm -hmm. We may or may not be building those as a GC. 
Yeah, that's what um, I think is kind of interesting. But go on. Yeah, yeah so the Lynn yeah. Project's a good example because right. we're the developer, we're the owner, um, we're the development manager, we're handling that whole project. It's our project, mm-hmm. but we elected not to build it, and we, mm-hmm. we brought in Delbrook to build it. Um, and then there's, there's other projects where it may not be ours. We may be purely a development manager. So someone comes to us and they've got maybe some family land or they have a farm that is 40 acres and they know it can fit 300 units, but they just don't have the capacity. They don't want to sell it, mm-hmm. but they just need somebody to come in and drive the ship to get them, okay. you know, to where they want to go. So and you're not invested we'll in do that fee, We'll do that fee-based, mm-hmm. just, just like you would build something fee-based. Yeah. We'll do that. Now, what goes into the logic when you do decide to not keep it in-house to go out with an outside GC? What's What would be some of the variables that would, would make you... Would it be scale? Would yeah, be... so sc- scale, certainly the scale of the project, mm. um, capacity. Yeah. You know, where am I? You know, do I have this project that needs to get in the ground tomorrow? And my guys are really committed, and it's going to be super. I- I'm going to be. I'm going to be running all the jobs too lean. Um, mm. If I if I pull, you know, yeah, you have three other projects. If I pull, going if on I pull and... five guys from other jobs and and bundle them up on this job, that's going to be a problem. So, capacity, um, location. So mm. we're looking at jobs in you know. So, like, we're looking at some stuff in Portland, Maine. We really like Portland. Mm. Um, now, we would build it there, but it's right on the edge of, is that really efficient for us to build up there, or should I just find another local GC and, and hammer out the best deal I can and have them build it, yeah. right? So, so you know, it's not like we're, we're not big enough to go open in all these offices everywhere. And right. Nor do guys, we want to, right? No, nor do we want to. Efficiency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nor do we want to. Our guys live on the North Shore, you know, Merrimack Valley, Southern New Hampshire. That's, that's where our guys are, and, mm-hmm. you know... Frankly, a lot of we we've got a lot of guys um, on like the field teams, the supers and, and PMs and guys that came to us because they're sick of driving two Went hours to, to some of these jobs, yeah. or you know they get they've got the great job that's convenient and close to home, and then the next job they get put on is two hours away, and that's that's not a great life. No, no, it's just not. four hours so, a day you're losing, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, or and you're waking up at right four in the morning to you know to get there. Yeah. Okay, so you've got the GC piece, the development slash property. Um, what would you call that piece where you're almost advising? It's advisory. Yeah, development advisory. advisory. Development yeah. advisory. And then we do, we have a very small piece that does property management, and it's really only for our own account. Um, we manage it in-house. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that depend, that determines scale. So like a project, you know, we're doing ironwood in Lynn, that's 100 units. We manage it in-house. Mm-hmm. That's that's no problem. You get to the project at the level of that other Lynn tower we're doing, it's 260 units, it's 10-story high-rise, that's Graystar. We, we go third-party on that stuff too. So yeah. Again, it's all these different variables um, kind of come together, but we try to not, we don't want to be stretched too thin and we don't want to mm. stretch. I mean, look, we're a small shop and we don't want to stretch beyond our capacity, mm. you know, even in, in, in knowledge or ability, right? I mean, you don't yeah. want to. In risk, it's just risk management, right? Right. I mean, it's risk management. Do, yeah. do I have any doubt that we could have, you know, figured out how to build a 10 story building, you know, with an infinity system and a tower crane? Of course we could. Yeah. We've got a bunch of good managers and a bunch of good guys that could figure that out. Mm-hmm. Is that the best use of our time or should we go to go to somebody who's a little bit more set up to, to do larger scale projects like that? So yeah. like that goes into that. In fact, same thing with management, right? Could 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 my team manage a building of 260 units, you know, with seven on-site staff? Well, sure. But Graystar has a system for that and they do it all over the country. So let's yeah, just let's, let them do it, yeah, right? At absolutely. That level. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, it's funny. A lot of business I get is, you know, I, I write a lot of NFPA 241 plans. I encourage a lot of GCs to do more of them in-house. Yeah. But a lot of times it's like, they're like, yeah, we could do it, but there's a learning curve. There's time. There's rework. I want to just make sure it's approved. And they're like, I'd rather just give you a couple grand and just do it. And then like, so yeah, you Risk could do that, but why the learning curve to 
to figure all that out. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And then you have an incident and you realize that something was done wrong. I mean, we're, we're in the process right now of mm-hmm. reviewing, just reviewing safety plans and kind of just refreshing that stuff every year. And um, it's the same thing. You know, we're, we're having third, third-party eyes put on it just because we're at the point where so we can't just make these decisions in-house, whether that should stay or go or how that should be worded or, you know, who that gets pushed off on, whether it's a trade contractor or whatever. We need to have somebody really look at this. So. Yeah. It's shocking how um, as companies grow they um it just gets away from them and you know like i've had someone in talking chris shepherd talking about insurance and he would he was telling me about he goes you know there's companies that are trying to do the right thing but they've grown so much and then they're looking at their policy that was the same policy they got when it was you know a guy and a girl in a pickup truck yeah and they're like what are you doing you know and they're like so i you know i listened to that episode and i was laughing because we had maybe maybe five years ago now we sat down you know we we sat down with our insurance we sat down with a new insurance agent who came mm-hmm. in and said I, I just do construction you really should listen so we gave him just as a courtesy the meeting mm-hmm. and what came out of the meeting was that the insurance agent that we'd had for you know 50 years had no idea <laughs> right so we were sitting around the table saying do our does our insurance agent even know what we do well it really necessarily wasn't we like to blame him it wasn't really his fault we had grown so much that we had outpaced like even our own ability to understand what our coverages were mm-hmm. and what you know what our exposures were and it's it's so far when you're a small shop and you do everything right and at that stage you know you get all these job titles in construction right but at that stage when you're just breaking into this bigger stuff you're the you're, you're the everything. PM you're the PX you're the you're the project account you're you're doing everything you're head of safety and risk right yeah, who's your safety there. officer right here yep um so it's just so far back of mind you're just mm-hmm. saying well I've got an insurance guy I really hope he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And you're right, it outpaces you. And then suddenly you have some sort of major risk situation, whether it's a safety situation or whether it's an insurance audit, and you realize that there's gaps or there's holes and, and you kind of feel you kind of feel foolish in a way, but yeah, I mean, it's part it, of growth. It was wild. And then correct me, I, I don't know, I don't even remember if this was on the podcast or if it was just something we talked about after, so I'm going to give very little detail. But um, he was talking about a client that he, when he was looking at their policy, it had excluded residential. And this person did large scale, multifamily residential in town. Yeah. And, you know, and and even Chris was saying, I saw that and I was like, all right, I'm not even going to say anything because maybe I'm wrong. Like he's like, I can't, this can't be right because this is what this guy does. It can't, I must be reading this exclusion wrong. He went to an attorney. Chris said yeah. to an attorney, he's like, am I reading the, I, I've been reading these a long time. And this says residential is not covered and residential is not described as one or two family. It's, it's apartments, condos, whatever yeah. in that description. Right. And the guy was like, no, you're right. And he goes, so I had to go back to the person and says, you have no coverage. Yeah. For what you do. Uh, for what you do. Yeah. And the guy wouldn't believe him at first. And he goes, okay. He goes, write an email to your insurance Ask him. Broken and just say, am I covered for resident? And no. the person came back and he's like, no. And he's like, no, what do you mean? Why would you need coverage for that? Yeah. Like, and then, it, then he says, you knew that. That's what yeah. he said. You know, we talked about that. He's this, like, why would I sign off on this? Is how it came, this yeah. is what came up in that meeting. So we self-perform site work, mm-hmm. like actual self-perform. Like yeah, we have yeah. excavators and loaders and trucks yeah. and all that stuff. And it's always been a value add. It's always been a creative mm-hmm. to the deal for us because yeah. we can pretty much take any site package on any deal and cut it in half. Right? Um 
but in this review with this insurance agent, we were not covered for movement of earth operations. And we're like, this, this is what we do. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like it's arguably one of the most risk prone sections of our business. Oh, We've yeah, got motors like, and excavators and lulls and all these and other digging things. Digging into gas lines. Right. And, like, and it's oh, like, yeah. that is where your risk is. It's all in the ground like that. And yeah. we were just, you know, and we've got them all plugged which is good but it, yeah. it just shows you I, it, it was it was lessons for us on a couple of things a keep keep our eyes on the balls that matter mm-hmm. right as owners and as we were growing a business but then also make sure that the third party kind of your team your advisory team your insurance agent your legal counsel your make sure they're of the same caliber and that, that mm. sounds bad because it sounds like the others not it's just they have to have be at the same place you are no like chris actually said it um, going back he's like your this goes for your insurance company, but it goes for your accountant, your attorney. For, he goes, they need to be construction accountants yeah. and construction lawyers. And he goes, if not, it's a completely different animal. And yeah. if you're expecting someone who's never walked on a construction site, has never worked at the construction company to know what your exposures are or know how yeah. a contract should be drafted, there's like, you're lost. There's a whole different language to it. You yeah. know? And even in our business, like where we've got these kind of different buckets of business, mm-hmm. we'll, we will use different... Different lawyers, not necessarily always different firms, but different lawyers for the construction risk piece of it, for instance, mm-hmm. versus developments and joint ventures and that kind of thing where it's just a totally different animal. You just got to have those teams that are separate and, and understand yeah. kind of the, I mean, that makes, the nuances. That makes sense, right? Because one's almost like a um, real estate attorney to oh, some yeah, degree, yeah, right? And yeah. needs to know about um, you know land yeah. court and property rights and all that kind of stuff. And construction is construction, right? Um, now that's interesting. You said Graystar is um, part of the Lynn Project. Mm-hmm. Um, part, they, so they're the, so Graystar is is doing the property management over there. So they, we have them actually in an advisory role, like a pre-development role, okay. and then they're they've been selected as the property manager, but not Graystar Development. So they're not okay. a. So they've got two. They have two big buckets. They work in two. They do yeah, third-party work and they do their own. I'm surprised because they're gigantic. Yeah, where they've got right? money, they, they've got they do a lot of deals where it's their money. Mm-hmm. This is not one of those deals. They are just a third party. What's interesting is, I don't know if you've seen these, and I'm going to get up in the middle of the podcast, which is probably poor for an audio decision, but Graystar, I believe, uses Pillar. So we looked at these. I, I don't know whether Greg, do, do they? Yeah. These things are these are fascinating. Yeah, and I think... So, I think we heard about them. You had someone on specifically about yeah, them. Yeah, I had Alex, you? the guy yeah, who's the yeah, CEO. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, where we, that's where we heard about them, and we were like fascinated. Yeah, they're Wentworth guys, yeah. and... I actually, it's funny, as I'm getting into more and more the, the concept of, not concept, but uh, I'm, I'm into the concept already, but for building, but like wellness, yeah, um, some really interesting stuff out there. Like this guy, Joe Allen in Harvard, has done a lot of studies on the um, effect of building materials on the people that work there and air quality and all this other kind of stuff. They did like some double blind experiments by mm-hmm. do, changing the air changes in an office. So they set up people down below who had no idea who what they were testing, yeah. right? And then the employees in the office had no idea that they were being, what they were being monitored on. And they just, they tested them for like um, executive function and like retention and all this kind of stuff. They got a baseline. And then they changed the number of air changes they got for fresh air. And it was shocking the like when performance. They, the performance, right? So like air quality matters, uh, VOCs, like all these things. So 
I was chatting with Alex. All these things that we just chuck under the lead checklist and we're like, these aggravating factors we need to deal with for our leads. Are yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like at the end of the day, like the more and more you look at the science, it, it, it means productivity. Yeah. It means health, right? So as an employee, I'm going to want to go work in a building that gives me an opportunity to be my best and be healthy and that could be access to food it could be like there's all the studies like daylight right that was the first thing it started like daylight you have all these cores in the middle of the buildings and now it's you know, light wells and yeah because you get into the blue light versus right you know and what that damage it does to your eyes and like we used to be under two by four like bright lights and now like all right that's probably not best for everybody yeah. i can't sleep at night i don't yeah. know why <laughs> like oh, i don't know because you have beaming blue light in your eyes like <laughs> 12 hours a day. Um, so I think, although they are interesting on the construction side with leak detection and yeah. smoke and fire and air quality stuff, um, I'm wondering if they almost end up getting more traction as well on... Operational stuff. Yeah, yeah. where people... Installed look, in offices, installed in buildings, monitoring... Healthcare facilities. Yeah. Like yeah. There was one life science company that was using them, and they just wanted air quality monitored, yeah. monitored for the employees. They would want a weekly report yeah. on what's the air quality in this building and they because some of the some of it can be technical they just said listen just give us red yellow green yeah am i good am i on the line or is the air quality bad and they would just have that report so it's like some really interesting stuff but um i think i i'm i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure but i'm pretty sure gray star is using them across the board i know avalon uses them on all their properties uh, on all their buildings but um yeah i think that's the whole wellness and the operation side, yeah, I think, huge. Is, a, is a potential um, huge growth market. Um, all right, but we should dig in on <laughs> the metal stud. So you had this project we're talking about is in Lynn. Yeah. Um, ten stories, multifamily. Ten, st- ten stories. So it's downtown, um, downtown Lynn, um, right across the street. So it's a transit, transit project. So it's right across the street from the train. So mm-hmm. It's literally a probably not even 30 second walk from the front door of the building into the central square station. Wow. Um, it's 10 stories. Is it commuter rail or T? It's commuter rail. Okay, it's yep. commuter rail, but it's the last, uh, well, there's a there's a private stop, but it's, it's, it's a 12 minute ride to Boston. Wow, so okay. it's right, it's one, it's one run. And what it does is everything north of it has consolidated by this point, so you get the most trains possible mm-hmm. coming through because we're now kind of in that final push. Oh, okay. Almost like the green line where they're all kind of... Right, where you've got that strip where you can kind of catch almost any train. Yep. Um, so it's a really good spot. And, you know, we're obviously pushing hard in Lynn for ferries and blue line extensions and all these other things. But yeah. but the commuter rail there is as good as the commuter rail anywhere. Um, so it's 10 stories. Uh, it was a buy-right project, which is interesting. Lynn has very permissive and very pro-development... Um, zoning. Zoning, Yeah. So it was by right, um, no special permits, no city council work, nothing. What was the height limit? 120 feet. Okay. So 10 stories, 120 feet, uh, zero lot line, zero parking required. Wow. So true, like really urban. I mean, progressively urban, dense zoning. Good for Lynn, man. Good good for Lynn. And Lynn did this zoning. They did the central business district um, maybe 10 years ago, or I guess 15 years ago, 10 years ago, and the bottom fell out. Right? So then nobody did anything. Yeah. You know, great. You got this zoning done in 2009. Yeah. yeah. No, great not, timing. Yeah, great you keep time, killing great it. Great yeah, timing. Yeah. Keep yeah. doing it. Right. Yeah. But, it, you know, to their credit, they stayed the course. Right. And, mm-hmm. and they stayed the course. And they didn't say, well, nobody did it. It failed. They said somebody will come along. Somebody will come along. And mm-hmm. then 
now that we're in there, you know, now suddenly the place is crawling. You walk down the street and seeing all these developers that I know, and I'm thinking, what have I got myself into here now? Yeah. This, was, this was my, Lynn was my honeypot, and now it's, it's, it's going to be like Somerville. Yeah. Um, but so it's all, it's all resi building except for the first floor. So the first floor has commercial and accessory use yes. to the building. We did a, um, we did a automated parking system, city lift system oh, nice. in the building. So you, you pull in and you get, you know, the car goes up into the stackers and stuff like that. Um, and then, so it's a, it's a podium. It's a concrete, it's, it's a, it's a cast in place, traditional podium. Yep. Not post-tensioned. Um, and then nine levels of, uh, heavy gauge metal stud framing. Okay. Which is unique. Yeah. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Now it seems like there's a couple players in the market. There's like I saw Affinity, and then like um, I want to say it's like Precision or something like so, that. Yeah. Or... So there's 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 Infinity Infinity Structures um, is like out of the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, Precision. There's uh, All Steel Midrise, mm-hmm. and then um, the Union. There's um, like the Union shops will do it with Jobsite Steel. Oh, I've heard of them before. Aren't they yeah. from like North Carolina or, yeah. or something like that? I'm not sure where they're from, but like if you like, if you did a union project with this with like ECI or those guys, it would be Jobsite Steel is their basically their same competitor. Yeah. And there's subtle differences in all the panels. So we looked at some different ones. You know, some of the panels it's it's basically heavy metal stud panels, just like a wood wall panel mm-hmm. is. You know, some of them are screwed. Some of them are welded only where they need to be welded and everything else is screwed. Some mm-hmm. of them are all welded. Like there's just all these subtle differences. And then each system kind of has its own intricacies about the deck mm-hmm. so you know one of the one of the and we're getting into the weeds but one of the pros about this system was that we we were able to use a deck that eliminated most of the shoring throughout the building okay from floor to floor not all of it but but we were able to get a deck thickness and concrete thickness that allowed us to do spans that we didn't have to shore everything right now is that deck a like a precast so no or? it's so it's a it's like composite deck so it's okay. it's like a torus composite deck um like a ribbed deck mm-hmm. and then um it has like in, it. It really doesn't have studs. It has like a has like an integrated kind of ribbing system to it. Okay. Uh, and then like our system is uh, six inches of lightweight concrete. Okay. And do you need to lay rebar in it or? Yeah. Uh, both mesh and rebar, okay. depending on what. Yeah. And then they'll do like these big slab beams for areas where they can't. So it, so I mean one of the one of the big hurdles I think for guys on bigger projects with mm-hmm. this is you have bearing walls. Um. So. For like a big commercial guy to get their head wrapped around building a building that size, 230,000 square feet, Mm -hmm. 10 stories, with bearing walls is crazy, right? They're used to just Mm -hmm. throwing up steel, right? And then everything else, not that nothing else matters. Or concrete cores or, yeah. Right, you you slip form the concrete cores up, you go up with your steel, it's super fast, and then everything else is infilled by, you know, the drywall contractor or Mm -hmm. the siding contractor or somebody, you know. With this, it's like wood frame construction, which actually is why it was a fit for us. This, mm. So what? So there's bearing walls. We have bearing walls in everything we do, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, a wood frame guys, I think, are going to really get their head wrapped around how the system works, mm-hmm. um, because it constrains you to a, to an extent, right? I mean, you you're now worried. You're not worried about 24 or 30 foot column spacing. You're worried about your layouts and your bearing walls. Yeah. You know, and then all your bearing walls are structural. So now your ratings. Your ratings that would apply to structural elements now not just applying to a column or some K bracing, it's applying to a whole wall, right? And that wall may not be just a demising wall. That wall might be the wall between a living room and a bedroom. Right, which you historically don't need to fire rate, but you historically ignore, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah. it's just, you know, the drywall contractor can do it. No, well, now that's that's rated. Now we get into a conversation about what is it? Is it a one hour wall? Is it a two hour wall? Are we doing that with drywall? Are you spraying it with intumescent paint? Mm. Are there other structural elements? 
supplemental steel or something in there for some other reason that's contained in that wall, mm. right? So maybe some of the walls aren't structural, but you've got those, you know, like on that building, we've got a pool on the roof and those posts run right through the building, right? Okay. In the walls, but you've got this like additional structural element. Tube steel or something. Going right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. HSS stuff. So, you know, all that stuff. So it was very, it was a very complex process. We could talk about how we like made mm. the choice and kind of how that went into it, but it was a very complex system. Um, even for wood frame guys, I mean, I would say I would say in this case you had Delbrook, who's extremely experienced in wood frame construction. Yeah. We're experienced in wood frame construction, and um, it was complex. And the architect is a wood frame. Our Designer. architect does a lot of, you know, the actual project manager on this does a lot of big buildings. But mm-hmm. in general, they do a lot of wood frame, multifamily, this kind of stuff. Um, so when you uh, this project. I don't even want to say came into your lap. I'm not sure how you acquired. You acquired the piece of land. You knew that you were going to uh, not have to deal with the zoning process. Yep. Now, did Lynn have anything as far as what, um, like a design review or anything they wanted on the exterior? Uh, or were they just... No. Lynn has site plan review, which is not a public hearing. Okay. Uh, there is no public comment. It is basically, a, it's calling it even site plan review is a little bit, it's officially site plan review. It's a department head meeting. Uh, it's, the outcome of that is purely advisory to the building commissioner. Wow. I you love can, you, Lynn. I, you and me both. <laughs> you and me both. Um, it's good. Lynn it's is, I will, name. I will, I will plug Lynn. Lynn. I will plug Lynn. Yeah. And I will plug Jim Caudell, who's the economic development guy there and has driven this bus for, for 20 years in Lynn, and Tom McGee, former state senator who's the mayor in Lynn. Mm. They are extremely pro-development. They, mm. want, they want Lynn to develop. They're not looking to throw up roadblocks. I've never worked in a place that says easy. Yeah. And it's not to say they're bending the rules, right? No, it's not no, like no. the fire department's letting you off the hook on stuff. Yeah. They just have a process where their general approach is, how can I best serve you? How can I help you get this project across the Crazy idea, huh? Right. As, yeah. opposed, as opposed to what is in my toolbox that I can throw up as a roadblock. Yeah. No, which absolutely. a lot of communities ha- are, right? Most. Most, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, even, even communities that like projects, you got a project in Beverly. Well, there's the design review board, and then there's this community board, and then they, that they advise the planning board, and then we got to go back to the design review board, and then you're back at the planning board, and it's mm. just like, man, this is... And everybody is for the project. Yeah. But it's just such a cumbersome process that yeah. you get discouraged. Lynn's, yeah. Lynn's fantastic. And I think, you know, a lot of people, like I live in West Roxbury, and a lot of these podium buildings are going up across West Roxbury, and there's, you know, a lot of locals that are not crazy about it and i can make myself unpopular for anybody in west rockshire that's listening to me but the upside and i see this in lynn is when this development comes in like we have a wonderful coffee shop now where they're roasting coffee beans in the shop they get them their family owns a farm in nicaragua they're shipping them here like great coffee shops great restaurants that are all coming to west roxbury and they wouldn't be coming here if you weren't having that development. So everyone walks around and they love the new shops and everything. The new vibe. Have, yeah, that they have access to. And like, oh, instead of it being all little Q-tips walking around Roach Brothers, there's hipsters and 20-somethings. And, right. oh, this is great. There's some energy. Yeah. There's more families moving yeah. in. You fail to see that direct connection between the development. That's what yeah. got the new vibe here. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's what brought the vibe to us. Assembly, oh, we, love assembly, we love Assembly Row. We just don't like new development. Well, it's one and the same. Like, yes. You can't have that vibe. Right and not have the development, and I'm I'm all for it. You need responsible development and all the things we have to consider. Yeah, um, Lynn's very clear-eyed about stuff like that, which mm-hmm. is interesting. And you know, even you know, we ended up going to them for a um, because we couldn't get this project to pencil. Mm-hmm. It's just Lynn, I mean, you're taking a gamble. It's a big mm-hmm. project. Um, we went to them for an HDIP tax incentive over time, um, and they gave it to us. 
And their, one of their conditions on the program was that it had to remain market rate for 10 years. Okay. Right, which is, which is interesting. An interesting, it's almost the inverse of what most communities are doing with like mm. an affordable component. And that's, that's good. That's useful in most places. But Lynn understands where they're at right now, what they need. They've got 45% affordable housing in Lynn. What they need is a bunch of market rate housing and a bunch of people to come in and change the vibe. Right. You know, and put them on the map, bring in the nice restaurants, bring in the nice coffee shops. Pop, you know, building like this, there's going to be 500 people that live in it. Yeah. 450 no, people. You're starting to see even the restaurants and coffee shops come to Lynn. It's Absolutely. Like, I yeah. Mean, the Blue Ox, Rosetti. I mean, Lynn has a scene already for that stuff yeah. that is way underrated. I mean, you can't, if you go to the Blue Ox, I mean, that, that is not a, um, that's not a family price point, let's call it. I mean, these are really great, great, um, great restaurants. And they, they draw people in from all over the place. Yeah. And like you said, proximity to Boston. Yeah, like, so... Uh, I, th- I think they're smart. I think they're not. It's not like they're ignoring their constituents. Like I, I think, I think municipalities should do a better job of tying what we were just talking about, which is, you love your new coffee shop, you love your new restaurants, and all these other things that are opening and events for you to do. Like, that's a result of this development. Yeah. So you might not like that six-story building on Center Street now, but rewind 15 years ago when it was. Chinese food restaurants, yeah. banks, stories, insurance company, yeah. pizza place, thrift store, bank, Chinese yeah. food restaurant, insurance. Yeah. Like that was it. That was all a dry cleaner. Like liquor store, liquor store. That was on repeat down Center Street. Yeah, you know. And now you have now you have vibrancy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you've you've, you've you know all these words that everybody and now all catchphrase right, but you're placemaking. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You've, you've created you've created whether it's through master planning or through good zoning or good development you've created places I mean, Georgetown Washington yeah. uh, Washington DC Georgetown mm. not Georgetown here but like that type of stuff is all that type of you know carefully cultivated yeah. retail and residential yeah. planning but you don't hear the city talk about that though you know at least I've never heard them express it that way and say especially when the neighbors are really pushing back at them like it doesn't you, you don't see the yeah. BPDA folks or, or planning board or whatever you have, you very rarely see that. But um, that's interesting. Uh, just uh, um, kudos to Lynn. That's awesome that they're doing that. Um, so when you first got a hold of this property, you're looking to make it happen. Your intent, you talked to them about, you know, some tax issues and came to that agreement. And you know you were going to try and hit that threshold is allowable the, as of right building. Um what did the pricing exercise look like around products that you looked at um, and eventually getting to the point where you decided on Infinity? So the first thing that happened, to tie into our conversation about Lynn, the first thing that happened is we said um, when we first bought it, we weren't going to build the 10-story. We were going to build two um, seven-stories, two five-over-two podiums. Mm. Um, we were going to build them, no third party, but we had this all figured out. We went to the city, which is what we wanted to do. The city was like, ah, come back with a 10-story plan. Oh, they wanted a high-rise? Yeah, they said, we want you to maximize it. We're not interested in working with you if you don't maximize the density down here. So we're like, okay, shocking. I mean, municipality's telling us to come back with more units, so let's yeah. come back with more units. But now it's taking, like, you you want that row because that's your wheelhouse, right? You can do right, all Right, right. So now it threw me right? out of the wheelhouse. And now it's like, okay, am I really comfortable getting into a project that's going to cost much more money? Now I know, now I know for a fact, right? Now that it's one building, part of the two buildings was I could still do it with, like, lulls and 
mobile cranes and stuff. And yeah. now it's like one building, tower crane, you know. Stair pressurization. Stair pressurization. Like all these things. All are, these ugh. crazy high-rise things that go yeah. with it. And now I'm just like, okay, now this is definitely outside of my comfort zone, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. So when we, we knew we were going to go 10 stories at that point, and obviously the first, you know, impulse was, well, it's not wood. Okay, so obviously we know it's not wood. Um, and structural steel was what we were thinking, right? So mm-hmm. we're talking to our structural engineers and we're talking to the architects. And as we're starting to do the pricing exercises, um, the structural engineers actually said to us, what you really should consider for this building because of its mass and because of its location and because of its height is a heavy gauge metal framing panelized system. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, we were very comfortable with that. We panelize every day. Okay. Every wood frame we do is panelized. We don't stick frame anything. That's, we're very, you know, that, that process of kind of like, Designing the wall panels, the shops process, getting them to the site, erecting them. Like, that's a very easy process. Mm. Um, what we learned was that's actually a more complicated process with a building this big compared to steel is because steel's fast. Yeah, and you're right? and, now, and now you're not you're not just dumping panels up there. It's a big building. You're having to hoist every panel up with a tower crane. I mean, there's just there's a schedule impact to doing mm-hmm. an infinity system. You know, there's no question steel would have been quicker. Mm-hmm. So as we started to do the pricing exercises, we really came down to the... I keep calling it infinity because that's the system we're using, but the infinity system or or structural steel and infill okay. metal studs. You didn't uh, cast in place concrete wasn't uh, it, it, cast in place. Cast in place was talked about and precast um, mm-hmm. precast decks and some precast elements was talked about and that quickly was cast aside as too expensive. Um, that was very early in the conceptual process. Okay. Um, and I will say we started. We did not start this process with Delbrook. Uh, okay. We started it with another contractor. Um, so that was quickly cast in place or, or, uh, or precast kind of fell by the wayside. Um, and it kind of honed in on, do we go a traditional steel building or do we go with this infinity system? Um, the initial Delta was about a two and a half million dollar savings, maybe $3 million savings to go with the, with the infinity over. Really? Structural steel, yeah. Um, uh, can can I ask you on a what total package? Just so, I, and the only reason I'm yeah, asking so, is percentage wise. What yeah. is it? If it was, cause um, it's a whole different. If it's a hundred million, then three no, no, no. three million isn't much. If it's ten million, no, three no, no, million, no. three million is a lot. Three, yeah. Three, yeah, yeah, yeah. So three million in this context was at, at that time because I'm gonna I'll show you the numbers shifted right at, through the design process. It wasn't what we thought. So right, okay. Um, but initially, I would say that. Two and a half or three million represented every bit of twenty five percent, maybe more. Okay, okay. Got so it. real, real money. Yes. I mean, yeah. Um, so then, what happened is, as so, as with any early conceptual drawing, you're dealing with tonnages, right? And you're just like, well, it's mm-hmm. X number of a ton of steel at this tonnage, and that's what that's going to cost. And yeah. the infinity's X per ton. Well, as the nuances get worked out, and you start to realize all these other implications with with the infinity system and the 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 uh, the panels. You know your price grows. Well, we need slab beams here, and no, we can't do that span. No, you can't do that overhang. You need you need an extra three hundred thousand worth of supplemental steel to do this. And no, we can't carry those parapet loads with the infinity system. And mm. no, we can't just plop a pool on the roof. We need to have steel posts that go all the way down. And oh, the club room. No, the club room needs walls in the middle of it. You know, well, we can't have walls in the middle of the club oh, room, right? Yeah. Well, how are we going to fix it? Well, we got to have a giant slab beam, right? As these things worked out, it narrowed that, it tightened that gap. Now. As with any project, I know that there would have been additional costs there too on the structural side. Right, so yeah. that would have grown by a percentage. I'm guessing it probably wouldn't have been as much. So, mm-hmm. I bet at the end of the day, it was 
well, I shouldn't say that. It was definitely still cheaper. Mm-hmm. What I what I don't know is whether it was worth it based on schedule because the steel would have been faster for sure. The yeah, heavy steel. Are you getting more interior walls done? Everything is panelized. Right. And, and there's I'm, almost nothing in, almost everything structural is panelized, so there's very little infill. Right. So I guess what I'm getting at is your, yes, speed of structural steel of getting topping off. Topping off, yeah. Is faster. <clears throat> yeah. Do, do, you, do you have a lag later? Yeah, but you while save, they're infilling. Yeah, you save in time by all those right. panelized walls that are going. It's probably at the a wash. Time. It's probably a wash because yes, to that I mean to that point, there's very little work for the drywall contractor to come in and now do on the second floor, mm-hmm. um, before like MEP guys are in there rolling and stuff like that. Yeah. you know, faster and more guys can go in at a time. So, hmm. um, this is a, that building's a pretty aggressive schedule. I mean, that's a twenty month, twenty now, month schedule. Now, do you feel like there was downfalls as far as um, like the big upside is? steel is spans you can get right. ceiling heights and all that yeah. kind of stuff right um, did you feel like you lose a little with affinity compared to structural steel so for sure for sure and a lot of that would depend on the application so there's no way so that building is I mean let's be straight it's Lynn mm-hmm. um, they're not micro units but they're not big units so mm-hmm. the units range from like 460 square foot studios to um, 1050 for a two bedroom so none of them are big. Mm-hmm. But they're downtown. They're across from transit. I mean, that's the point. That's the demographic. It's mm-hmm. what fits. So in this context, no, we were not really constrained. Because, you know, no living room's really wider than 12 or 14 feet. And no bedroom's wider than 11 or 12 feet. And you know, those are easy spans to do. And really having column spacing wasn't going to increase our flexibility any. If this was a luxury building in uh, East Boston or the seaport... Mm-hmm. And you were doing it out of this system and you wanted to sell penthouse condos with these huge wide open spans mm. or have any condo on any level with these big wide open spans and, you know, kitchens that were 25 feet wide and flowed 40 yeah. feet to the edge. You would never be able to do it. It would just be, it would be impossible. Right. So in our in our specific narrow set of circumstances, it did not constrain us at all. Other than maybe I mean, like we, a club The club, the club space. So our club space in this building is on the sixth floor. So we wanted to be above the, we didn't want to waste the top floor space but we wanted to be we're all above all the buildings so So we wanted the views views, right so um and that's wide open it's essentially two units worth of almost three units worth of square footage Mm. and it was a interesting exercise to how we massage that to get that to work because there has to be some walls that stick in and we ended up designing around that but it was a Mm. it was a back and forth constantly between the architects the interior designers and the and the structural guys and infinity so they're very involved you know, we had Infinity involved from basically day one. Mm-hmm. So, we, yeah, we're, we're having structural engineers design the building, and right parallel with them is Infinity. And Infinity's on every MEP coordination call, and they're on every interior design coordination call because they're saying, look, no, we can't do that with this system. I know, I know, interior designer, you're used to having that flexibility of saying, no, that opening needs to be 14 feet wide. You know, yeah. we're telling you it cannot exceed 8 feet wide. Yes. So, there, I mean, there are... <clears throat> structural engineer to some, even though they might yeah. not be the structural engineer of the yeah. job they're acting like Correct. structural engineer yeah. and they are structural I mean they own that piece of it yeah and, and that piece of it is almost in a way it's not design built but it's it's almost that type mm-hmm. of a situation where it's very collaborative the contractor the designer the supplier in this case mm-hmm. um, the structural engineer and then when we got closer to an actual installer buyout you know in, including the installer in that conversation as mm-hmm. well so it was a very collaborative now do you have to go with the specialized which, which makes me want to talk about the ipd project <laughs> delivery because uh, 
It's also, I mean, we go we for it. No, no, no. no. It's just, it's a, and why? Uh, so. Because the, that delivery method fascinates me because of the collaboration mm-hmm. and because of the incentive through the team. Yep. And I don't, I'm failing to see what the downside is, and I'm guessing that it's going to take over the world. Um, or it should, put it that way. And I've yeah. never done one. I've just, yes. I've just heard about them and watched them, and I'm thinking that is an incredibly collaborative way to deliver a project. If you have the right, and who the hell am I? I've never worked on one either, right? But just having, having spoken to a handful of people that have been part of them, some that would say it is the worst thing in the world, <laughs> others that say if it was a person, it would walk on water. Yeah. <laughs> um, if the theme that i have gotten if the if it's coming from the top that we're all going to be in on this it does it does well you ask brown university yeah cuz i sat at a talk with one of the guys that was leading that he's not there anymore this guy mike mccormick i mean they have opted to make it the the prime way, way that they almost build all the buildings yeah. that way now right um, so i think with the right people, it can be fantastic. But if you don't have full buy-in, it's a problem. Here's the thing. When you read about com- communism, that sounds fucking yeah, yeah. awesome, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. In practice, it's horrible. In practice, it's a disaster. <laughs> it kills more people than the plague. Yes, I, right? Yeah. But it sounds really good. Yeah. We're all going to put in the pot and yeah, share everything, yeah. and everybody's, everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. Yeah. But in reality, doesn't work. if people aren't have no motivation, no incentive, they don't want to yeah. work, you know... Um, so I always like an IPD to communism. Like yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Is that what we're all yeah. going to do? And then, but we're all humans. Let's see if we can deliver, right? That. Yeah. Um, but it, it can be sidetrack. I see. No, no, no. But it can be done, and it helps, and it's funny. <laughs> okay, folks, this was a long one, so we'll take a break here and pick up next week, where we go more in depth in review of the Infinity System, problems, um, benefits. Talk a lot about coordination and what it was like working with the product. Uh, We'll also cover other unique products like ICF and Mass Timber. Um, So make sure you tune in and hear what Mike has to say in full. And per usual, thanks to everybody that has rated the podcast, written a review, Um, anybody that hasn't and you're interested, whatever you can do, that would be great. Um, I would love to get this thing off the ground. Take care, everyone. We out. We out. We out.